is going to have to deal with these things. And so Paul continues in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 10. But you, Timothy, have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And thus ends the reading of God's inspired, inerrant, and authoritative word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but God's word abides forever. Let's, let's pray. Lord, we are humbled that you would even speak to us and to speak to us in such a way that we could understand. But we plead with you for spiritual understanding, which is the gift of the Holy Spirit. We pray for the illumination. And, Lord, that you would use this word to bring about sanctification uh, in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So Paul, as an apostle and Timothy's mentor, had been warning him about those who had only a form of godliness. Uh, they didn't have the real thing. It was an outward form. And... They wormed their way into the lives of people in the church, particularly those who were gullible, who were not very knowledgeable. And these false teachers resisted the truth. They were said to be men of corrupt minds. They were rejected concerning the faith. So Paul did not sugarcoat for Timothy the reality of ministry in a fallen world. There's a lot of realism in this book. Um, you know, sometimes the presence of evil around us uh, and evil within the church can be disturbing uh, to us as Christians. It can be discouraging. And if you have begun to be serious about serving Christ and wanting to serve others and help them either come to know Christ or to grow in their walk with God, uh, you will find soon that there's difficulty. Uh, there's that that there is spiritual warfare going on, and there really is evil uh, in the process, uh, e evil that you have to contend with. So uh, we look around, and we when we see things happen, we can be discouraged. We see our children as they grow up. Sometimes they uh, walk away from the faith. They drift from away from God, and we see other people leaving the church. We see the church in decline in our country. And we see great evil uh, being blatantly promoted in our culture. Uh, and so it, it can make us feel like giving up at times and, and uh, running the Christian race. Especially when you are concerned not only for yourself, which is enough on your plate, right, to deal with your own problems, your own sins. But when you try to help someone else, uh, this can be an exhausting 
process. Ministry and service for the Lord and his kingdom is not something that is for the faint of heart. There there are challenges, disappointments. You know, I I read uh, there's a new survey out that says uh, four out of ten pastors are seriously thinking about quitting the ministry today. Well, did you know that it's always been true that ten out of every ten pastors uh, at times thinks about quitting the ministry? That's nothing new. Um, I'm not going to quit today. No, not today. Uh, Timothy himself might have gotten into a low point where he was ready to throw in the towel. It seems that he had become a little timid, and maybe that was just part of his nature. But uh, in our passage today, Paul writes to encourage Timothy, to encourage him to persevere, to stay the course, to continue in the scriptures and, and to serve Christ in that way. So as we look at this portion of God's word Uh, Hopefully we'll be encouraged to press on in our faith and in our service of the Lord. And so the three points today, um, the first in our passage is that we see Timothy, I mean Paul reminds Timothy uh, that he had followed Christ in the past. In verse 10, he begins with this emphatic contrast, but you, Timothy, and of course you have to go back to see what he's contrasting with, but this sharp contrast is between the character of wicked people who, are, who had infiltrated the church and Timothy's faithfulness thus far uh, in serving the church. So Paul encourages him uh, in nine different areas, nine different things. So one of his famous lists that Paul engages, it would be interesting to do a study sometime of all the lists that Paul makes, either of sins or this, in this case, of virtues. But um, uh, we need to encourage each other. right? It's easy to, to be critical, to find fault with each other. And Timothy was, no, he was not perfect, and neither was Paul. But Paul encouraged Timothy where he could and, and list these nine areas where he had been a faithful disciple under Paul's uh, direction. He said, first, he says, you have carefully followed my doctrine. Uh, someone says, you know, to a Presbyterian one time, he says, why are you Presbyterians so particular and precise about doctrine? And the answer of that old Presbyterian was, because we serve a very precise God. And so this is, uh, Paul says, you have carefully, precisely followed my doctrine. You know, creativity in the area of doctrine is not a good thing. Uh, you want to follow the Word of God, the doctrines of Scripture, carefully. He followed his teaching. He had received, earlier we read about a pattern of sound words from the Apostle. And so Timothy preserved that pattern of sound words, and he passed that on to others who could then in turn teach others. And so he didn't invent his own set of doctrines, uh, but he followed that which Paul had received by inspiration of God. You know, today, uh, new churches spring up all the time, and that's a good thing because a lot of churches are dying out and, uh, you know, closing their doors. So we need new churches. But the church is not a new thing. And the doctrines of Scripture and the doctrines based on Scripture are not new. Uh, they are passed on. Now, we can, we can learn and grow in our knowledge 
but knowing and holding to Scripture and the doctrines contained in Scripture, that's foundational for everything else. And, and we're not the first people to think about these things. We need to go back to the early church fathers, uh, to the Bible, of course, but to the early church fathers, and then to the Reformation and to the Puritans and so forth to learn uh, the truth of God. So, uh, if you don't believe that the Bible is the inspired inerrant word, authoritative word of the living God, then you certainly uh, should not be in the ministry. Well, sadly, there are many today who are in the ministry who don't believe the Bible at all. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. They are not serving God. Uh, they, they are of that synagogue of Satan that I read about earlier in Revelation. And so, thankfully, Timothy was faithful to follow Scripture. And he promoted sound doctrine. But you know what? As important as doctrine is, and there's not much that's more important, uh, it's not enough. It's not enough. Paul adds that Timothy also carefully, again, note, you know, carefully followed my manner of life. The Westminster Shorter Catechism asks in question three, what do the scriptures principally teach? How would you answer that question? Well, here's how the, the Westminster Catechism answers it. The scriptures principally teach two things, what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. So the Bible teaches what we're to believe and how we're to live. So Paul not only believed the truth and taught the truth, but he lived it. Uh, Paul was not a hypocrite. Uh, he was not an imposter. And he practiced what he preached. And so did Timothy. And so must you and so must I practice the word of God. Well, no one can live a perfect Christian life. The, 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 that same uh, catechism, or probably in the confession, the Westminster Confession, says we, every Christian, sins daily in thought, word, and deed. So, so we have to balance these two truths together. You and I must live the faith. Now, we cannot uh, just talk about it and believe it. We must live it. But we'll always fall short, and that's why we, of course, need our Savior, Jesus Christ, every day, every day of our lives. But the person who says, I'm a Christian, I believe the Bible, uh, is just as, but doesn't live it out, is just as much a blight on the church as the person who says, I don't believe it at all. And, uh, again, I'm not saying that you, as a Christian, must be perfect. You cannot be perfect. Uh, you will fall short. Uh, but are you growing in grace? Are you confessing your sins? Are you bemoaning your sins and your weakness? And are you coming back to Jesus day after day after day and seeking his cleansing and, and his re renewing power? So... Uh, People who claim to believe the scripture <clears throat> but don't practice it are what some people have referred to as practical atheists. Well, they say they, this person says they believe in God, but practically uh, they deny that he exists because he doesn't seem to influence their lives. James wrote in his epistle that we should be doers of the word and not hearers only. You're all right now hearers of the word. It remains to be seen whether you and I will be doers. He said, James said, faith without works is dead. Well, Timothy, we know that 
faith alone in Christ alone is what saves us. You cannot be saved by your works. But we also know that without works, uh, our faith is not the real thing. Uh, works validate uh, the faith that we profess. And so Timothy had both faith and works. The works follow. They come out of our faith. And he followed Paul's example. And Paul, of course, followed the example of Christ. And Paul could say, follow me as I follow Christ. Timothy also had followed Paul's purpose. Uh, That's next in the list. What was Paul's purpose in life? Uh, You know, it was Paul who taught us what our shorter catechism teaches us uh, when it asks what is man's chief end or man's chief purpose. Uh, It was Paul who taught us. Uh, the answer to that question, and the Catechism puts it this way, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That comes from more than one scripture, really, but mainly from 1 Corinthians 10.31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So Paul's purpose was to glorify God, mainly by preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, Christ crucified and risen, for the salvation of sinners that we might believe and be saved and then and then to lead those who believe to maturity in Christ. So so Paul glorified God most by the preaching of the one who did glorify God perfectly who died on the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ. He he could say in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2, I determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And so, Timothy followed uh, Paul's purpose. He continued to preach the gospel. He continued to glorify God as his purpose in life. Is that your purpose in life? Do you wake up each day thinking, I am here for one reason, to live for God's glory. Next, Paul also followed, I mean, Timothy also followed Paul's faith. That is, his trust, in his ongoing trust in God in the face of difficulty. It's easy to believe when the heat's just right and we're sitting in a soft chair and we're listening to a sermon. It's kind of a pleasant environment, right? And uh, well, what about when things get tough, when things get difficult, your faith is challenged, your bank account runs low, uh, you have bad news, you become sick, or whatever it is, is how's your faith going to hold up? Uh, Paul's faith led to other things such as long-suffering, patience with others. And and if you are going to serve God, if you're going to serve other people and get involved in their lives, you're going to need patience. And Timothy exercised patience uh, with weak and sinful saints, just as God had been patient with him. He followed Paul's love. Uh, In Galatians, Paul would write, through love, serve one another. We can't be servants. We can't serve the Lord if we don't have love for him and for each other. If we're just doing it because it's my duty. And and there must be a genuine love coming from the heart. And Timothy also followed his perseverance, his steadfastness. And that's kind of the theme of this of this particular passage is, is perseverance. But these first seven uh, characteristics out of the list of nine are active things. They're active. But then the, the last two he mentions are passive, things that, that you don't do so much as, as you 
endure uh, and are passive at enduring, that is persecutions and afflictions. He mentioned that Timothy knew about these, particularly the, the persecutions he had experienced in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. And these were places that Paul had been to on his first missionary journey. And that's where Timothy met Paul and was converted to Christ on that first journey. And so uh, he knew, uh, Timothy knew, uh, about Paul's willingness to suffer for Christ. That may have been part of what so impacted Timothy to put his faith in Christ. He saw Paul's life evidence the reality of one who was willing to suffer uh, for Christ. So Timothy suffered also. He was willing to endure persecution and affliction. He didn't try to avoid them. Second um, Corinthians, Paul spoke about some of the things he endured. Uh, if you go and read Second um, Corinthians, you'll see. But afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, Five times I received from the hand of the Jews 40 lashes, lest one. People died from that. Uh, he, he was, <laughs> uh, five times he received 40 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. You almost always die from that, but Paul somehow didn't. Uh, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. Why? Uh, because he loved adventure? No, because he loved Christ and his gospel and was willing to suffer for the sake of that gospel. But Paul could say to Timothy in verse 11 of our passage, and out of, and out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Now that's, that's amazing. Uh, so, so Paul wanted to encourage Timothy uh, that as God had been faithful to deliver Paul, uh, this same God would be with Timothy and would deliver him out of the troubles uh, that he would face. And, and notice Paul didn't say to Timothy, Timothy, you won't have any troubles. You're a Christian. Nothing bad's going to happen to you. No, he didn't say that. He said that God would bring him through, would deliver him from those troubles. And he'll do the same for you and me. Read 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says, no temptation, which also can be translated trial. No trial has overtaken you except what is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not, not allow you to be tried beyond what you're able. But with that trial, will provide a way out that you might be able to endure it. God's going to provide a way out of your trials and your troubles and your temptations. If you look to Christ, uh, he will do so. Well, second point I want to mention today uh, that Timothy and all of us today need to grasp. And that is that all believers, true believers, who seek to live for Christ will suffer persecution. Verse 12, Paul writes, here's the realism. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. <clears throat> well, for many years off and on, this, this verse has bothered me. Does it bother you? Why do I say that? Well, if it's true that all who live godly lives will suffer persecution, and I'm not suffering pers any persecution in my life, what does that say about me? 
Well, it makes me think, am I, am I really living a godly life? Have you ever asked yourself that question? If, if my life doesn't elicit any persecution, whether it's just verbal or, or you know, it doesn't have to be physical, somebody trying to kill you, but uh, any type of persecution, then is there something wrong with my life? Am I really living a godly life? Or am, am I simply trying to avoid uh, persecution and suffering for the gospel. So I, I think it should bother us if we're not being persecuted. Uh, and, and notice, Paul's not saying you, Timothy, as a pastor only. He's saying uh, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, all Christians, not just those in the ministry, will suffer. John Calvin put it this way. He, he said, those who wish to be exempt from persecutions must necessarily renounce Christ. I want to serve Christ, but I want to be exempt. I don't want to have any any persecution. Calvin says, you're renouncing Christ if you, if you have that attitude. Well, that's a strong statement. It doesn't make me feel any better <laughs> than Paul's word and God's word in verse 12. It does make me ashamed of being ashamed of Christ. Why is it that I am ashamed to confess Christ in this world only that I'm a lover of ease and probably I'm not living the type of godly life that I should be living. Uh, I generally want people to think well of me and uh, be nice to me. I'll be nice to them, you know. Uh, Jesus doesn't give me any relief here. He says, woe to you when all men speak well of you. Okay. Uh, he said, if they hated me, they will hate you also. Well, I'm sure there are a handful or two of people around that, that hate me, but I don't want anyone to hate me, and I, I usually try to avoid that. Uh, what, what I, and, of course, the opposite is true, is that we must not court the hatred. We must not provoke the hatred of the world, but the gospel in a godly life will do that uh, without uh, much effort, I think. So what I find is that I'm seeking generally and often I'm seeking the approval of others in my life instead of the approval of Christ. If I would seek the approval of Christ, I, I may have the approval of others, but uh, I will probably not have the approval of everyone. And I, to that extent, will have to suffer, suffer some sort of um, ill will, at least. And so I wonder, do we really count the cost of following Christ? And this is, I think, the, the issue here. You know that Jesus taught that there is a cost to following Christ. You remember the rich young ruler came to him. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life and so forth? And basically, Jesus says, sell everything you have and follow me. Uh, it costs something to follow Christ. Uh, J.C. Ryle, who <clears throat> is... Um, uh, author that the men are going to be studying uh, his book on holiness. In fact, the, there, there's a message, a chapter in that book titled The Cost. And, and in that book, he lists four costs of becoming a Christian. And the first thing is that true Christianity will cost you your self-righteousness. Uh, we have to cast away all our pride, all our thoughts, and all our own goodness and be content to go to heaven as a sinner saved by grace, as, as somebody who couldn't save himself. I'm such a poor, miserable person, I couldn't get to heaven on my own. I need Christ. 
Secondly, the true Christianity will cost a man his sins, Ryle said. So we must be willing to give up every habit, every practice that's wrong in the sight of God. And then third, Christianity will cost a man his love of ease. A Christian life is one that takes pains. Takes pains in prayer uh, and, and in other areas. We have to watch, fight, and pray knowing that we're at war uh, and stand against evil in our own lives and, 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 and in the world. Lastly, true Christianity will cost a person a, the favor of the world. Uh, Ryle said we must be content to be mocked, ridiculed, slandered, persecuted, and even hated. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4.10, we are fools. We are considered as fools for Christ's sake. Now, I, I like to be considered, you know, at least respectable, uh, you know, maybe uh, intelligent or wise or whatever. Um, but Paul said we're fools for Christ's sake. The apostles were the greatest men besides Christ himself who walked the, the earth, who have ever walked the earth. But they were fools in the eyes of the world. What does that tell you about what all Christians have to face? Raoul concludes, a religion that costs nothing is worth nothing. A cheap Christianity without a cross will provide in the end a useless Christianity without a crown. Now, I will say we've been very blessed in this country we do have a Christian heritage. We can argue over whether we've ever been a Christian country, nation, or not, but we certainly have had a Christian heritage, and, and so we haven't really had much uh, intense physical uh, persecution as we find still going on today in many other countries. But there are other forms of persecution. You know that. Um, they're happening now in our country, and that have been happening for some time, really, in this nation uh, Dr. Gordon Clark wrote a commentary on, on 2 Timothy about 40, a little over 40 years ago. He's no longer living, but <clears throat> um, he, he, he noted the following. He says, but political liberalism, socialism, he said, always anti-Christian. The emergence of women's liberation, lesbianism and homosexuality, the legal attacks made by government on Christian schools and Christian parents, the activism activism of those university students in riots, arson, and terror, all this presages the more systemic oppression that communism inflicts on Christians. Well, that's just an example of things that really, again, just not much new under the sun. Uh, things that have been happening in the, re in the past few years were happening even uh, to some degree uh, 40 years ago. <clears throat> but why are Christians persecuted? Uh, Paul says because of godliness. Uh, the Christian life is a life of godliness. All who desire to live godly will be persecuted. So do you desire a godly life? Is that what you're aiming at? Again, to the glory of God, but are, are you desiring to live a godly life? What is that? What does it mean to, to have a godly life? It means to have a, a life that is oriented towards God himself, first of all, uh, that you're focused on loving God, worshiping God, knowing God, trusting God, seeking first the kingdom of God, uh, consumed with a desire to please God. That's what godliness is. Um, so the godly person lives by faith, by faith in Jesus, 
who's God in the flesh, who came to, to live and die for us, and that godly person who comes to know Jesus Christ begins to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. When God came into the world, when God became flesh, how did the world respond? They said, oh, here's God. We love you, Jesus. We love you. Some did. Actually, only very few. Most of the world hated him. His own people, the Jews, despised him and rejected him. They hated him. That's why they hate us. They see Jesus in us. The more of Jesus they see in us, the more they will hate us. Now, again, not everybody, but there will always be some who will say, Wow, you, you're different. Why is that? And you can tell them about Jesus. Some people, that's how you came to Christ, because someone shared the gospel with you. Someone influenced you. But by and large, the world, which is that segment of the population that is without God, without Christ, and is really serving the devil, whether they realize it or not, that portion of the population hates God, hates Jesus, and they will hate us because we belong to him and because we, we serve him and will bow to no other. Okay, This is what it means to be a Christian. Jesus is my Lord, and I will not bow to any other uh, Lord in my life. Uh, we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord of all. He demands ultimate loyalty. And there is no higher authority for the, for the believer. Uh, Jesus is over all things. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He's over all things. You can't put anything ahead of him. Uh, and you, we ought not, as Christians, submit to anyone or anything that would take the place of Jesus and his lordship over us. This was the cry of the Covenanters. The Covenanters in Scotland, which uh, is part of the heritage of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. And they suffered, they were put to death for the cause of Christ under uh, the Stuart kings in Scotland. And these kings uh, held to the belief, which many kings did in those days, of the divine right of kings, they, which means they believed that God had ordained them to be the in, infallible ruler of the nation. But not only the nation, they believed at that time period that they were also the spiritual head and ruler of the church of Scotland. And so the Covenanters were Presbyterian, and they believed the Bible, and they believed that Jesus was king, and they could not accept that the king was over the church. Jesus is the only king of the church, is what they taught. So no man, not even the king, could be the spiritual head of the church. No pope can be the head of the church. Uh, there is no head of the church other than Jesus. The preacher is not the head of the church. Uh, Jesus is the head of the church. We could go on and on. The covenanters suffered much. For two major biblical principles. They suffered for Christ, yes, but first of all, that God alone is Lord of the conscience. And see, the, the, the government of most countries like to meddle in the area of conscience. They want to tell us, we, you must abide, abide by our laws, whether it goes against your conscience or not. If you're a doctor... Uh, you must uh, perform an abortion, might be one example. But the Christian says, I have another Lord who is over you, and I obey my conscience. God alone is Lord of the conscience. Two, 
The second principle the covenanters suffered for was that Christ alone is head of the church, as I said. And these brave men and women, if you'll read about them, and you can do that today, and how they suffered, young and old, willing to die for their faith. They were drowned. They were burned at the stake. And they show us how to suffer. They show us that the godly will suffer persecution. The question we have to ask in our own time, in our own nation, is are we living godly lives? Are we willing to suffer for Christ's crown and his covenant? Lastly, from our passage, Paul, Paul writes to make this point to Timothy and to us that believers must continue in what we have learned. After mentioning this idea about Godly will suffer persecution. He notes in verse 13, evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Uh, These men were described, as I said earlier in this chapter, but they were evil men because they served the evil one. They were imposters. They pretended to be God's servants. They looked like them on the outside, but they would go from bad to worse, says Paul. It reminds me of the progressives of our own day, the left-wing progressives. They They want to say they're progressive, but they're only making progress in evil. I don't have time to go into the various ways. I think you all know uh, the way uh, those who call themselves progressives today are only uh, getting worse and going from bad to worse. So Paul was a realist. It was looking that way for Timothy that things were getting, you know, going from bad to worse. Well, it was in the case of these these false teachers. Um. He didn't want Timothy to think or imagine that everything was going to be rosy uh, as a Christian or as a servant of the Lord in his church. And we shouldn't imagine that today. We, we need to pray for our nation, pray for our church, pray for all the churches of Christ in this country. That things would turn around. We pray for revival. We pray for a great awakening in our land. But we've got to be ready for the worst. In verse 14... I really think this is the heart of the passage. Well, at least it is the only imperative. It actually is the imperative statement uh, in verses 10 to 17. And that is in verse 14, you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of. And so again, the contrast, but you must continue. The others are getting bad, going from bad to worse, but you must continue. Timothy must take a different path. Are you taking a different path? Are you uh, traveling a narrow road or a broad road? Jesus said the broad road is wide. Many are on that road, and that leads to destruction, at least to death. But there's a narrow way that leads to life. Only a few are going that way. Are you going the narrow way? As a believer, you must, uh, because the broad road leads to destruction. That's the way the world is going. Timothy said... Uh, Timothy, Paul said, you must continue in what you have learned and become assured of. So not only are we to learn the truth, we're to learn it so well that we become absolutely certain about it. It becomes like something that we would never, ever give up. You see, the truth is certain, but it needs to become an assured thing in your own heart. Timothy had learned so much from Paul and the false teachers... We're always trying to bring about some new thing, novel teaching. And Timothy, you see, was to be satisfied with what he had already been taught and heard. 
not going on to something new. Satisfied with the scriptures, satisfied with the message of the gospel. And that word continue means to abide, to stay. You know how you persevere in the Christian life? By staying, by standing firm, by not moving from where uh, you, you have been planted in Christ. And so those who know the Lord, they, they are to be firmly rooted and grounded in the word of the Lord. Again, uh, whether it's religious progressives or political progressives, they're always wanting to move away from these things. But we take our stand in the scriptures. Um, so progressivism today it leads to sexual perversion. It leads to, uh, as I said, socialism, anarchy, riots. We could go on. The breakup of the family. Where does where does uh, standing on the and continuing in the Word of God lead? Well, he says in 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 that in verse 15 that scripture. You've known this scripture. We're going to get into this more in detail uh, next week or two, but. Scripture gives us the knowledge. It leads to salvation. That's the greatest thing that, that the Bible does. It leads us to Christ and leads us to salvation. Uh, but a continuing trust in that word of the Lord leads us to righteousness. It leads to social and family and national stability and peace and goodness. That's where the word of God leads. We've been so blessed in our own country in our own day, to have the full revelation of God written down for us in the Bible. Psalm 1 says, The person who do, whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on that law day and night will be like a tree planted by water, will bear fruit in its season. We live in, in very wicked days. We live in the midst of a very flood of evil. How do, you, how do you survive in a flood if you happen to be caught up in floodwaters? You see you know, these, these videos, these pictures of people. Uh, they survive by hanging on to a branch or a rock or something uh, so that they were not swept away. And you and I are to hang on to the truths of the Word of God. Hang on to Jesus Christ, who is the, the main subject of that truth. Uh, I, I, I'm going to close now. In prayer, but I want to, um, I want us to think about what we heard today. And uh, I would ask you to pray with me as I bow together.